please note this episode contains details regarding a stay in the NICU and a birth that can only be described as very traumatic. If you are sensitive to these things, this is not the episode for you to listen to. If you are still pregnant, I actually encourage you not to listen to this episode. Thank you. Everyone has an opinion when it comes to having a baby and raising kids. Just get the epidural. There's no prize for doing it natural. In my day, we just let the baby cry until they settled themselves down. Have you tried sage oil? And so many more comments, most of them unsolicited. Welcome to the Birth and Parenting Things podcast. My name is Kim, and I've got opinions too. I'm kind of an expert on birth. I've also managed to raise three babies into young adults. I'm here to offer evidence-based information, stories, personal experiences on birth, parenting, and everything in between. So let's do this. Hey, what's up? It's me, Kim. Kim the doula. Kim the doula, who is the host of Birth and Parenting Things, welcome to the podcast. This has been a week. How has your week been? I, so I've been fairly clear uh, in my life about uh, having a mental health issue. I've been fairly clear in the postpartum depression, the depression, anxiety uh, that I experience uh, living my daily life. And I, the COVID, the pandemic has not made my anxiety any better. In fact, it's made it remarkably worse. But I've been actually quite good at sort of managing it. And as things change and progress and develop and, you know, I'm fully vaccinated and my children are fully vaccinated and my elderlies are fully vaccinated and whatnot, it doesn't negate the fact that I still have some pretty big, you know, heart tightening (laughs) um, anxieties that come when I think about things like going to a movie, going to a funeral, going to a wedding, going to, you know, places where I would be in contact with people that I don't necessarily personally know. Now we did go for dinner the other day, uh, the other week, uh, for my daughter's birthday. And that was actually pretty good because it wasn't that busy and there was, it was all sort of coordinated and plexiglass and we really didn't come except at the very beginning at the opening spot of the restaurant. We really didn't come in contact with too many people. And of course we were all masked and everybody was masked and all that stuff, which, so that helped. And of course there's all, God, protesters and whatnot out um, in front of hospitals uh, protesting mask mandates and and vaccine passports and all of this stuff. And that also sort of makes me feel very anxious and sort of, you know, makes me (laughs) never want to leave my house. But I made a comment to a friend, a couple of friends about my anxiety and how, you know, they were talking about going to parties and, you know, seeing people and all of that stuff. And 
you know, that's their comfort level. And that's great. Like, that's great for them. And, you know, they were commenting how great it was that people were being able to get out and, you know, be in groups and things like that again. And I just made a comment that, you know, all of this stuff, you know, as great as it is for you guys actually just gives me anxiety. So one of the friends who knows that I have a mental health issue and suffer from, you know, this stuff, because I, again, I'm not quiet about it. I certainly don't hide from it. Um, made the comment of, oh, what are you anxious about? Having fun or being with other people? I'm like, okay, that was kind of an uncalled for comment. And as a result, now, I actually don't feel safe in that sort of friend group talking about my own personal mental health struggles. And that's where I have in the past felt very comfortable, but now I don't feel comfortable with that. And I think it's important just as a PSA to make sure that if somebody is saying and using words like anxiety and depression and whatnot, please don't make a joke out of it. Please don't make it fun. Please don't make it funny and try and, you know, be funny because honestly, I'm actually in a pretty good place. My life is actually pretty good. I don't, I was never one to go to parties and whatnot anyways, but you don't know what people are going through and making fun of it really does not help. And it kind of hurts to be completely honest. So the people that I originally had felt comfortable with in talking about my um, personal struggles with anxiety and whatnot, not good. Not, I don't have that group of friends anymore, um, to give that. I'm, they're still my friends. Um, but now, as I say, I don't necessarily feel safe in having those conversations with them. And I will also say too, you know, that was sort of at the beginning of the week. And then my 25th wedding anniversary, uh, was this week as well, which, you know, having um filed for divorce two three weeks ago you know again still not not a great not a great week to you know have fun and games and and be terribly enlightening and and boisterous and whatnot I've also been dwelling a lot um on being a mom of three NICU babies. So September, as I did not know this, I don't know how I didn't know this before. Um, Maybe I just sort of blinded it out, I suppose. But uh, September, um, and of course, this is coming at the end, you'll get this at the end of September, but September is NICU Awareness Month. And all three of my babies have been in the neonatal intensive care unit. And the story of my daughter's birth, um, I went into more detail about the uh, our place in the NICU, and I also wrote a blog on it this week. So it's been it's been dredging up some stuff, um, particularly with my first son. Now, if you've been listening to the rest of these episodes um, up until this point, you know awesome. Welcome. (laughs) I'm so glad that you've been able to do that. Um, But I've been sort of skirting around the birth of my first son because in essence, it was, you know, 
it was traumatic. It would be labeled traumatic. So I thought I would actually talk about it now, um, but with an emphasis on the experiences we had in the neonatal intensive care unit. So I was due on November 19th and the, uh, I went into, uh, around 41 weeks, one day. So eight days overdue, I went into the midwife and we had had some stretch and sweeps and whatnot leading up to this point, because while nobody really talked about him being a big baby, um, that was obviously a concern, but the midwife never talked about it, never mentioned it to me, which I think is part of me is glad, but the other part of me is like, um, I would have been nice to know sort of what I was dealing with, but anyways, whatever, um, ended up the stretch and sweeps didn't necessarily work. So we ended up going into the hospital, um, on, I can't remember if it was a, I think it might've been a Wednesday because I think he was born on a Thursday, went in to have uh, prostaglandin gel inserted into the cervix to make it sort of soft and squishy. And the way this particular induction method works is you go in or the, at least the way it was done, um, cause they don't really do the gel anymore. They usually use Cervidil, but this was 21 years ago, um, you would go in and you would have the gel inserted. So we went first thing in the morning, had it inserted, and then we were to come back six hours later and see if there was progress. So we went in the morning, uh, came back in the afternoon uh, around, let's see, uh, because I think that was like seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, so we came back around lunchtime to see what was going on and there really wasn't a whole lot of progress. And then went had another dose of it given, and then we're supposed to come back six hours later. Now, in the meantime, of course, it was lunchtime. I'm like, I must have food. I, because I'm ridiculously pregnant, Um, but I must have food. So I ended up getting uh, McDonald's and don't judge. I actually like McDonald's. Got McDonald's, got a quarter pounder of cheese (laughs) and um, ended up, so we got, this was on our way home from that second dose during the evening or no no the McDonald's didn't happen then the McDonald's happened later so then six hours later around dinner time we went back again just after just around dinner time we went back again and had like a third dose okay that's when the McDonald's came into play went had McDonald's for dinner came home and then things started to percolate. Things started to shift and move and and cramps and contractions started. Um, And it was, we were watching, (laughs) you'll have to look this up because the show didn't last very long, but it was actually pretty good. We were watching uh, the Christmas episode of a show called Providence and it was actually pretty good um, about a doctor and her, uh, her dad was a veterinarian or something like that. Anyways, and we I started to, the contractions really started to pick up. We called the midwife and let them know, let, let her know what was going on. It was decided then that the contractions were strong enough and far enough apart that we should probably head into the hospital. So just before heading into the hospital, um, the McDonald's that I had had, the dinner that I had had decided it didn't want to go to the hospital with us. So we ended up, or I ended up vomiting into the kitchen sink. We grabbed all our stuff. We left. 
and went to the hospital. And I remember standing there holding onto the pillows as my partner dropped me off at the doors and then went to go park. And this was a nice, small, tiny hospital, but it had sort of a, what was being labeled at that time as a birth center. So it was a complete unit just for birth. And it was sort of brand new at the time. So I was quite happy about that. And we went in and the labor progressed not as good as we would have liked. I remember, I only remember sort of vague parts of it, but I remember being laying in the bed and the midwife, who I will be completely honest, I did not like, wasn't a fan, didn't like her. She wasn't my primary midwife. She ended up being the, my primary midwife ended up being at another birth and I ended up getting the secondary who I did not like even one bit. And the, she kept feeding me pulsatilla tablets. And I'm like, what are you giving me? Like, I'm not, I'm not sort of herb centric. I'm not, I'm pragmatic. I don't sort of believe in these sort of herbs and things like that. But she kept feeding me these pulsatilla tablets, which are supposed to help with, um, like, uh, like anxiousness and things like that. And I will admit, she would give me them and put them under my tongue and I would feel good and okay for maybe like a couple of minutes. And then the anxiety and, and the, the fear and whatnot would ha- would sort of come up again. I remember lying in bed as she was doing this. And then at some point, I don't know who suggested it, but we decided to get into the tub. Now, this particular hospital didn't have individual tubs in the individual rooms. You had to go across the hall into sort of a tub room. So we went in and that helped for a little bit. Um, Not a long while, but it did help for a little bit. And then at some point I kind of came to... um, And I remember my partner sort of being beside me, um, not in the water. And I remember looking in the water and there being like, because I, of course I had bloody show and I remember there being like show in the water and that freaked me out. I'm like, okay, nope, I'm out of here. Get me out of this. I could not be in this water any second longer. And I got very sort of freaking out. Get me out of this water. Get me out of this water right now. You're not moving fast enough. Get me out of here. So I ended up getting back in and I think at that point it was decided, this was hours, hours had gone by and it was decided to check and see what was going on. And I was kind of, um, still at the same spot. I think it was kind of stalled at about six centimeters dilated and my cervix had shown or was showing signs of swelling so I was almost going in reverse and I think the reason that was happening is is because every time a contraction came on I kind of pushed against it which you're not supposed to do but nobody told me that and it just became everything just became too overwhelming everything was just so strong and and I'm pretty I don't think I was on Pitocin for this. I may have been at some other point, but at this point, really, this was all just me. And at this point, the, because things had stalled, because, um, it was looking like they were, that things were not going the way things were planned to go. The midwife called in the doctor on call and she came in and she was amazing and I loved this doctor. So 
she came in and she kind of did an assessment and said, you know, I'm guessing, because again, nobody talked about the size of this baby. And, you know, she made the comment that, you know, the way things are going, it's likely that we're going to have to do, we should probably, you know, do a cesarean. And at that point, I was done. And I, and I kind of lost my mind at that point. And I burst into tears and I started to ugly cry. (laughs) There was no name for it 21 years ago, but it was ugly cry. And at that point, I remember her stepping back (laughs) from this blubbering pregnant woman um, having these contractions. And she said, okay, you know what? Look, let's get you an epidural. Let's calm things down a bit. And then we'll have a discussion because at this point, my son was fine. Like he was, his heart rate was good. Everything was fine. He was healthy. There was no concerns at that point, but we needed to calm the situation down. So she said, you know, let's get an epidural. Let's, and then have a rest and let's, let's talk about this. So she ended up, we got the epidural and my, I remember my partner, I think left at that point to go get something to eat or something like that. He came back in the nurse who was assigned to us. Um, God love this woman. And I wish to God I could remember her name, but it's been so long. I just don't anymore, but she was such a beautiful human being and she sat with us. Now she may have left at some point because I certainly did sleep, but she sat with us. She was asleep. She was sitting with us when I fell asleep and she was sitting with us when I woke back up again and in the exact same spot. So I, I choose to think that she sat with us the entire time. I'm sure she didn't, um, but she did come in periodically, I assume, and, and sit with us. So at that point, the doctor had come in and did an assessment and I was fully dilated. Um, I kind of flew open at that point. And it came time to push. And it was clear that I really was not um, an effective pusher. Um, plus, he was big. And we ended up having a vacuum extraction. So with vacuum extraction, the way they were done back then, it was kind of a, a big suction cup on a container of compressed air. And the reason we did that is because he was in a good position. He was able to come through. He was low enough to keep coming in that direction. So the doctor was like, you know what, let's just, let's do this. And I remember pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And I remember pushing like, and sort of, you know, almost passing out maybe in between the pushes and then pushing again. And really, I remember at that point, there was a uh, code pink was called And this was before he was actually even out. So what a code pink is, is a cardiac arrest medical emergency for an infant or child. So at that point, I remember glancing over at the door and seeing like a bunch of people. So there was probably about four nurses and doctors sort of standing at the door. So once he was out, there was an immediate assessment done and he had an APGAR score of two out of 10. So normal is not 10 out of 10. Normal is usually about nine at nine and nine. So they're done at one minute and five minutes, but his one minute was like two. So because the code pink had been called, I remember them sort of 
ushering him to those nurses and doctors and they took off with him down to the they didn't even bother doing anything in the room um they just took off with him to the neonatal intensive care unit so they i remember looking over at my husband and the look on his face was i don't know like fear maybe confusion i don't know um but he seemed kind of deer in the headlights of everything that was that had just sort of happened they got me cleaned up um the midwife actually let me back up i remember when they said we were going to start pushing i said well where's frida her name was frida and they said, oh, she's napping in the on-call room. And I said, well, I'm not effing pushing until she's here. And it's not that I wanted her to be there. <laughs> I just didn't want her napping through all of this. She was supposed to be there to support me and she wasn't. So I said, well, we're not pushing until she freaking gets here. All right. So push baby out, upguard to a 10, two out of 10. And then they got me sort of all cleaned up and everything. And I really don't remember a whole lot about this. Obviously, the placenta was delivered and things like that. Um, I was exhausted. And I did remember saying that I wanted to to see him. I knew he was a boy. I knew I wanted to see him. They briefly brought him back and he was all bundled up in a hospital swaddle blanket. And all you could see really was his face because the way they had swaddled him, his his he had like a hood and a hat and everything and all you could see was his face and this face he looked gray so I want to be clear I probably should have said this at the beginning but <laughs> trigger warning um I if you remember from like <laughs> kindergarten grade one um daycare things like that and playing with plaster scene it always had that kind of gray color and it looked like that I he looked gray and I actually at that point thought that he had died I thought that they were just showing me um my child had passed and I looked at him and I was like nope this is not my child I don't know what the hell what kind of had joke this was but this is not my son um that was not the baby that I had played with bonded with while he was on the inside poked him and he poked back um I turned my head and basically said get that effing thing away from me and that was the end of that I didn't I didn't want to I didn't want to connect with that baby I didn't want to because I was afraid that the way he looked, even if he was alive, that he wasn't going to last much longer than that. And I thought, what a terrible joke that these people had played on me to bring this baby to me. So a few hours later, after I got cleaned up, um, the nurse said she wouldn't take me to go see. This was not the same nurse. This was a new nurse. Um that she wouldn't take me to go see my son um, until I'd eaten something. I think I'd lost an awful lot of blood and was kind of weak. And uh, of course, with the epidural, I really wasn't all that steady on my feet either. So I agreed to eat and she brought me a hospital tuna sandwich on brown bread. I literally, these are the two things in my life that I cannot stand. <laughs> 
I hate fish. I cannot eat fish. Um, and I do not like brown bread. <laughs> so I sort of choked it down. And then the nurse agreed to take us down to see him. And I kind of steeled myself to what I was going to be facing because in my head, I still had that vision of what they had brought before. And ultimately, I think in my head, I was getting ready to say goodbye um, because I was pretty sure he wasn't going to survive. And I wanted to sort of get that over and done with and, and be done with the entire nightmare of this entire birth. When we got there, though, the NICU staff were incredible. They brought me over, um, and he wasn't in an incubator. He was actually just um, in a warmer. So, yes, an incubator is in a warmer, but this was like sort of a flat surface with sides and heat sort of coming down on him. And he was lying there on this pink blanket, <laughs> and he was big and he was rosy pink and he was blonde and he was my kid. And I looked at his face and briefly I saw the face of my grandmother and my grandmother had passed several years ago and it almost felt to me like that was a sign that she was there um, telling me that this was my son and that you know, don't worry about what you saw before. Don't worry about what they brought you before that this child here, this was your son and this, you, you get to keep him and you're going to, you're going to have him and keep him and he is, he is yours. And after a deep, deep sigh of relief, um, at almost so basically what happened is he was almost 10 pounds and he actually got stuck and the vacuum extraction had done some damage to the nerves in his neck and his shoulder it's called shoulder dystocia and it's not uncommon with really big babies but he had sort of a mild form of it it wasn't great but he um it can actually be worse there are certainly times uh, though they don't normally get to this point now, so I don't want this to sort of scare you, but usually at this point, um, in, at this time, they would do a cesarean, but um, it certainly has been done in the past where um, those nerves in the neck and shoulder have been damaged to the point where they don't recharge, um, where they're broken. Um, babies have had their clavicles broken, um, in an effort to get them out. But as I say, we generally don't do that anymore, particularly in Canada, in Toronto, um, because it's usually confirmed that, you know, this isn't, baby's not coming out this way. So we're going to, uh, we're going to do a cesarean birth. But with him, he was still able to come through, but they did have um, a bit of damage done to his nerve. So his right arm um, was kind of immobile. It, it really didn't move all that much, if at all, but his left, uh, his left arm was no problem. So as a result, he also had um, some because of his not breathing immediately after the birth, um, he was admitted to the NICU for a week um, or more for observation. Physically, I was fine. Um, emotionally, I was completely stunned, um, but physically, I was good. I was actually discharged from the hospital at the sort of 24, 36 hour mark. And we ended up, so the NICU staff, I would come back for, so for a couple of days, I would come back 
back and forth from home to hospital. I was pumping um, to try and make sure that I had colostrum and breast milk and whatnot for him. The NICU staff helped me with the breastfeeding, which was great. Um, And then at some point after like two days of going back and forth from the hospital, um, they had a what's called a sleep room. So I don't know if other hospitals have this, but this particular hospital did. And it's a room that you can stay in. You rented it. Um, for, this was 20 years ago. Um, it was $2 a day. I'm, I remember this specifically. It was $2 a day. And it was just a bed. It was just a bed in the hospital unit where, and it was in a semi-private room. So there was nobody, was there, I think there was somebody in the bed um, for a little bit, but in the room, in the bed next to me, but not for very long. And we didn't talk to one another. I'm not kind of antisocial, um, but we didn't talk to one another. I'm not sure what, why she was there. But anyways, um, so I stayed in this room and the nursing staff would come and, um, you know, they would call and every time he needed to be fed and I would get up and I would go down and I didn't get any food. I wasn't being looked after, uh, medically or anything, but I was able to go down and feed him. And it was, I know how awful this sounds, but it was actually really good. The, I was able to rest and do nothing but feed my son and rest. And there were people there that were going to help me feed him. That was their job. Their job was to get him fed. And in the meantime, um, he was actually being fed with a feeding tube. So he was, I would feed him at the breast and then he would be topped up um, with formula until such time as I would be able to uh, pump and produce enough. And the, it was kind of funny because every time I would go down, um, he would be in this incubator. And in the meantime, like more babies, you know, would come in and they were usually preemies, twins that were preemies, um, things like that. And there was my gigantic son, um, with these tiny little babies on either side of him. And I joked one time that it looked like he had eaten, uh, one of the other babies, Nobody actually found that funny. I, on the other hand, thought it was hilarious. I know it's probably not a good joke, (laughs) but um, just to see him, this big, rosy, you know, blonde-headed, massive kid, you know, barely fitting in the incubator and all these teeny tiny little babies on either side. Anyways, so he eventually got well enough and we were discharged and sent home. He was feeding at the breast like a champ and the thing was, I really didn't like it very much. So we didn't really feed at the breast for that long. And such, we began our life of a family of three. With his shoulder dystocia, we did have to, um, we did have little exercises for him to do. Um, They did tests on him to assure us that the nerves were not broken. They were just damaged and needed time to heal. And we had a few visits down to sick kids who were ridiculously amazing. So good. Um, And yeah, and now he's full, full use of his arms. No problem at all. And then two and a half years later, same hospital, same doctor who I loved. I ended up not going with midwifery care this time. I actually really liked my doctor. 
um, who had delivered him. And she, she was really good because she actually, she would, while we were there, she would find me and, you know, say, yeah, I just saw him, you know, he looks like he's doing good. How are you doing? Things like that. Like she, she, I'm assuming she cared. Um, but it really did seem like she cared. So two and a half years later, we, uh, I gave birth to my second son and that birth was fantastic. Drama free. He weighed about a pound less than his brother. And, you know, after a few pushes basically fell out. Um, we slept well, we fed well, everything was great. I thought, great. So we can take him home. We can start our lives and everything is great. However, my luck is never that good. (laughs) So during the examination, so the, um, before getting discharged and things like that, pediatrician comes around, same pediatrician who had looked after my first son came around. And one of the things they did was take his temperature and he had a temperature and they were concerned that he had gotten an infection during the birth. And now he needed to go to the NICU, um, to start antibiotics. And I'm like, um, so, um, he explained it to us and we were like, okay, yeah, sounds good. No problem. And he kind of looked at us oddly, I guess, expecting a different reaction from us. Um, and asked us if we had any questions. We're like, no. And he asked us, he, I remember him asking us why we were so calm. And we explained about our first son and how actually he had looked after him and he remembered him. (laughs) And, uh, And that, you know, going to the NICU was something that we were quite comfortable with and, you know, and whatnot. Now this time managed to arrange a sleep room sort of right away. And I stayed there for like seven days that he was on the antibiotics. I nursed and I pumped and it all sort of felt normal to me. And I think people thought that was strange, but I think it felt really good to be able to have that feeding support um, to have that, I didn't have to look after another child. I didn't have to worry about laundry. I didn't have to worry about cooking or anything like that. I just had to feed myself, feed my baby and sleep. That was it. And that ended up being, you know, a really good experience for us. So, you know, um, we were, I remember one time being in the NICU because we never, I never experienced this with my first son, but I remember being in there and the nurses were really, really good. And I think this was about day two. So I latched them on and suddenly felt these like massive contractions start. And how cool was I? I managed to keep him latched. <laughs> I stood up um, while he was still latched um, and like basically cried out. And the nurse asked what was wrong. And I explained that I was in labor again. And she laughed and said, oh, no, those are just your after pains, your uterus um, contracting to get back back to its pre-pregnancy state. And I'm like, are you kidding me? This didn't happen the first time. What the hell? Um, and I joked and said, so can I get an epidural for this? And she said, sadly, no, that wasn't possible. But um, at least she was in a little bit better humor than the my baby eating the preemies joke. Um, so his infection cleared up, he passed all the tests and we were able to go home and, but while we were there, so you're kind of, he's, the way it kind of worked is he was in the, with both of them, they were in the incubator for a little bit. And then 
as we were getting sort of transition to leave, they spend like a few days not in the incubator and being just in a cot or something off to the side. And while he was there, um, saw that and he was in that sort of cot just off to the side. And I looked at him and he's like, he's so yellow, like he's so dark. I don't understand what's happening here. And I said, you know, I was pretty sure he still had jaundice. So I said, no, like you have to test him again. Can you please just test for the jaundice again? And they're like, we can assure you he doesn't have jaundice. I'm like, no, like I need you to test again. So they said, okay, no problem. Crazy, crazy mom here just wants to do this. So no problem. So they took more blood and they tested him again. And sure enough, he was fine. Basically what was happening is the Spanish side, um, was coming out. So my first son, you know, was very Scottish. Um, and my second son was, had more of that Spanish darkness. So not the pasty white Scottish look of my people, but the darkness and Spanish side of his father. And there we were now a family of four life was good. Two and a half years later, can you see the pattern? (laughs) I gave birth to my daughter and that birth was not horrible, but it wasn't great either. Um, you can hear more about that particular, uh, birth itself in episode 22 of this podcast. I sort of went through all that this time around, we were discharged, um, actually after the 24 hour mark, didn't have to go to the NICU and everything was great. And I remember actually walking out going, um, are you sure you're not going to stop this? I think you've made a mistake. Um, we don't get discharged. We don't, we don't actually get to leave the hospital with our baby. So what the hell is going on? But, um, okay, no problem. I done. We'll, we'll just do what we have to do. So they assured me that she was fine. Everything was good. And after being at home for like 24 hours or so, things were not in my visual you know, assumption, things were not going well. She wasn't eating well. Breastfeeding wasn't going well. And I mean, I'd had two other children that I'd breastfed. Things should have been going well. I knew what I was looking for, but she kept spitting up. And I mean, like not spitting up, but like projectile vomiting. And I thought, you know what? Fuck it. Who cares? Screw it. We're just going to do formula. I don't care. My first sons had had some formula. My first son was actually, you know, we stopped feeding after about two and a half months. No problem. I don't care we'll just put a bottle in her and I don't, we'll just go with this. And I was fine with that decision. Unfortunately, the vomiting didn't stop. She still kept projectiles spitting up everything that went in. So anything that went in, it basically came out. And again, not just a little dribble, I mean like all of it. So mama bear mode kicked in. And I remember like looking at my husband going, I'm going back to the hospital. This isn't right. This isn't normal. So jumped in the car, put her, put her in the car seat, jumped in the car and off. We headed back to the hospital through emergency and it was clear she wasn't feeding. She had lost, um, quite a bit more weight. And while we were waiting to, cause the pediatrician, again, this was a smaller hospital, so there wasn't a pediatrician there, um, or they weren't able to come down at that point. But I remember the ER nurse, um, talking to the pediatrician over the phone Um, and because she was a newborn who had left the hospital and basically been in the outside world, we weren't technically allowed back into the NICU and we were actually going to be sent to the pediatric ward. And this did not 
I wasn't comfortable with this. I wanted to be in a place where I felt comfortable and that was the NICU. I wanted to have the sleep room. I wanted to get the support um, that I'd had with the other two. And I didn't say any of this out loud, but I was terrified that we would actually end up being somewhere else. And after some discussion between the nurse and the pediatrician, um, they actually decided that she would be better suited to be in the NICU. So what they ended up doing, and I kind of feel bad about this, but not really, um, they ended up clearing out the nursing and pumping room at the end of the NICU where everybody would go and pump or feed their babies and whatnot. They cleared that out and put her incubator in there. Now, sadly, that meant everybody had to pump and feed in the main room, um, which, again, I feel a little bit bad about, but I was happy that we were able to be there in that in that area. So we ended up staying in there for about three days. And then when it was clear that she wasn't going to be a risk to the other babies uh, in her incubator, they moved her into the main room with the others. Now, it turns out that she had not been feeding well, um, mainly because when she was latched onto me, her tongue would actually go to the roof of her mouth and my nipple would slip underneath her tongue. And as a result, it was also getting shredded. Um, this meant that, um, she ended up not feeding well. She ended up getting jaundice because it wasn't sort of flushing out of her. The bilirubin and whatnot wasn't flushing out of her. And we had to get back on track with feeding and we had to get back on track with her weight loss. So thankfully it only took about six days, um, of work with the lactation consultants, um, we used a nipple shield and this was another thing that's different from today. So while we were in there, we had ended up using a nipple shield to basically not only protect my nipples, but also to train her tongue to go down. Um, but we weren't actually allowed to leave the hospital until we were not on the nipple shields anymore. We had to actually be off them before we could leave the hospital. Nowadays, they basically hand out nipple shields like candy and formula with you and say, good luck, have a nice life, and we'll talk to you, you know, the next time you have a baby without any sort of, you know, plan to get off the nipple shield, without being known the the risks of using the nipple shield as well for over an extended period of time. Um, so... I mean, I was quite thankful and this was what, like 17 years ago. So not yesterday, but still seriously, how did they, how have things gone so wrong so fast? Anyways, so we ended up, um, at that point, then we were able to be discharged and go home and that was it. Our family was complete. Now I had very good experiences of being in the NICU, obviously with my with my second two, it wasn't life threatening. It wasn't, you know, teeny tiny preemie babies who were, um, having major health issues. So I am kind of coming at this from sort of a Pollyanna point of view, but I know that the NICU staff, the NICU nurses and whatnot that were there at the hospital, they were incredible and amazing. And I think, you know, given what they are faced with on a daily basis with very sick babies, I think they are the unsung heroes of labor and delivery. And I literally thank them every day in my head for the support and caring that they gave, not just my kids, but myself as well. So if you ever find yourself in a situation where you are in the NICU, it's important to remember that 
if you have a question in your head that you just spit it out, there literally are no stupid questions. And this is your baby and you get to ask however many questions that you need to ask. If you are choosing to feed baby from your body, then remember to um, ask to do so as often as possible. Sometimes they'll, especially with preemies, sometimes they'll be, well, we need to know what's going into your baby. So they don't always like to do that, but you need to advocate for yourself and you need to make sure that you are feeding baby and putting baby to the breast as often as you can and also pumping as often as you can between those feeds. If they need supplementation, it could start as formula, but then you can start supplementing and bringing your milk in at the same time um, to give baby breast milk as opposed to formula. Make sure that you are getting rest and you're eating well whenever you can, as you will need to be there for your baby to feed them, bond with them, love them. And I know, especially with the little preemies, they look, or if they've got tubes and all this stuff, they look very delicate and fragile, but skin to skin, touching them and asking to do as much skin to skin as possible. Um, sometimes with preemies, they won't do this for ex extended periods of time, um, because they can get cold. But again, just say, this is something that I want to do. How can we facilitate this? Ask the hospital if they have a sleep room, ask the hospital if you can stay there, um, while baby is admitted. Um, if not, then how can you be close to the hospital so that you can come and feed baby and be with baby whenever is necessary and needed? And as I say, ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. So those are my NICU stories and my the story of my first son's birth. So you can see why now I've been trying to avoid it in telling people because for the most part, I don't want my birth story to color your own birth story. I don't want my birth story to become your birth story because it's not, it's mine. Yours, if you are still pregnant, hasn't been written yet. So make sure that you are, you know, go into your birth with positiveness. Okay. Don't go into your birth with a vision of what my birth ended up being like. Um, and also I want to say, uh, if you are pregnant, if you are considering, um, any other support, please check out the website, torontodoulagroup.com slash about dash three. Um, I'll put the link in the show notes, but that will lead you to our freebies library where we have um, freebies on what to pack for the hospital, what to eat during your labor, your postpartum essentials, and a recipe for frozen pads uh, for your perineum. Um, there's also a link there to see our infant care class, which is really good. And again, it can be done all online in your jammies whenever you have time and you have access to it for about six months. So you can go back and forth um, and see and rewatch things that you might need more information on. There is also a breastfeeding class in there as well. So again, you would have access to that for six months. There's video, there's tips and tricks and all that stuff. And I highly encourage you to do that. They're really good prices right now. The infant care is is $32 and and it's a value of about 125 the uh, breastfeeding class is I think it's on for 
30. Uh, don't quote me on that. I can't remember. Um, it's a value of 50 and I think it's on for maybe 25. I can't remember. Um, and of course, if you're going to be induced, sometimes we just don't have the information on being induced. There's also a link on that same page for, uh, an induction class that we have. So I do encourage you to check these out. They will give you, again, information, tips and tricks. You have access to them for a while so that you can sort of go back and rewatch if you need to. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns about anything, or there's any topics that you'd like to see or hear about, I'd really love to hear that from you. So you can email me at birthandparentythings at gmail.com. And again, another big shout out again to Bermuda, because for some reason I'm still on the... <laughs> I'm still on the charts for Bermuda. Um, if you are from Bermuda and you are listening to this, oh my God, shoot me a line. I'd love to know who you are because I'm pretty sure it's just one person. <laughs> um, yeah. So remember to subscribe and tell a friend that would be, that would be most helpful to me. So I hope everybody has a good one. Enjoy your weekend, enjoy your week, and we'll see you next week. Bye.